Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning, good morning, man. We back. What's up, fellas? <laughs> Nothing much, man. How you feeling, bro? Doing all right today, man. Ready, ready to talk some basketball. You know how it is. <laughs> Love to hear it, man. It's 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 a beautiful Sunday morning. Uh it's been hot as hell in Jersey these past couple days. Hopefully today's a little lighter, but it's been hot as fuck, bro. <laughs> yeah, it's been baking the whole week, man. Yes, yeah, to, to stay inside under the AC weather right here. <laughs> bro, my wife talking about, let's go to Hoboken. I'm like, come on, man. Come on. Like, I just want to chill. I just want to chill. <laughs> oh, man. Um, man, you can walk through the water, get you a little spritz, man. That's true. That's true. Might be I'm cool about the water. I'm gonna definitely have some some in my in my in my cup a little bit, but um, <laughs> bro, it, it's been a quiet week of hoops. Um, but uh, let's talk about last night, though. I know all of us watched the fight, Errol Spence Jr. versus Bud Crawford. Myself and, and Big was at David Buster's. Yes, David Buster's. Uh, had a had a fight night. They were showing the fight. Had some good drinks and some flatbread barbecue chicken. Flatbread was rocking. But hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you go on, man, let, let's have a moment of silence for the flatbread barbecue, man. <laughs> <laughs> the joint was amazing. That <laughs> <laughs> was good as hell. I was not expecting that. That shit was definitely rocking. But damn, we might have need, need a moment of silence for Edward Prince Jr. Bro, RIP that eye. Going into the fight, I was expecting a close, tough fight. I mean, they're both tremendous fighters. I put my two bets were I had I had Terrence Crawford winning by majority decision, and then I had uh for the fight to end in round 10. So I was one running round off, but I had Terrence Crawford winning. I did not see Errol Spence getting his ass whooped like he did last night. That was a clinic. And it was, it brought me back. It was like, I haven't seen a fight that dominant since the Fury Wilder fight, the, the third one. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. before that, the only fights I remember being dominated like that was, was Floyd Mayweather. Like that was, that was an incredible performance last night. Yeah, it was definitely a, a clinic by Crawford. It was, Surprising. I'm not the biggest boxing fan, but from all what I've seen, all the tweets and all the everything that was on social media from people watching the fight and just seeing all the celebs that were there, you could tell it was supposed to be uh, more competitive. But, you know, one thing I would say for, for Spence is he, he did keep getting up. He made it nine rounds when after like four rounds, I was like, yeah, it might be over. I mean, I was I was surprised. I thought it would be a little bit more competitive. Spence was the bigger boxer as well. 
But I mean, Terrence Crawford, I mean, he he was the two-time ring of the year, boxer of the year, pound for pound. I mean, his ability to switch stance. Like, I'm a, I'm a Bud Crawford fan, but I thought it'd be a little bit tighter, especially they both beat Sean Porter. They both had a, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, undefeated record. This was, you know, highly billed as, you know, going to be a Marvin Hagler, Tommy Hearns, and it, it just wasn't that, like, but, you know, hats off to him, you know, for Spence even taking the fight before he moved up to 154, so. Yeah, I, I commend them for fighting. We I think boxing needed this because, uh, you know, Haney and Shakur, Haney and Loma was good, uh, but Loma is not really like, doesn't have that star power in the U.S. like that. Like, he's a good cult figure for the Ukrainian uh, nationals that live here. But these are two homegrown Americans going against each other. Devin Haney and Shakur, we, we've been, who knows when we'll see that fight. They're going at it on Twitter as we speak, probably. And, <laughs> like, during the fight, Bud Crawford just looked so comfortable. Like, he was, like, rolling off the punches. He was sticking the jab to him. He took Spencer's, Spencer's game away from him, which is the jab. And he was just tearing that boy up. I'm like, damn, bro. Like, this is bad. Like round seven, I'm like, yo, his corner might need to start thinking about some, some, some. <laughs> throwing a towel, throwing a towel, yeah. throwing a damn towel. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely looked like it was gonna be over before before nine. It was a couple hits that he took that I was like, oh man, this is it's looking bad out here. <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, Crawford was just hitting him with these counter punches and jabs, and it was just like, damn, bro, like dude is just such a tactician. Moving so swift, he didn't look phased. He didn't look. He didn't seem to get tired. I was just like, uh, "Damn, this is an uh, 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 impressive performance all around." Yeah, that was, that was amazing. One of the best boxing performances I've probably seen in the past ten years. Like that was that was really impressive, and I can't see him losing to anyone at this point. I know that uh, Spence said they're going to rematch. Uh, maybe go up to one fifty four. I don't think you want to do that, bro. Uh, I I just don't think it'll, that, that skill is different, bro. That that skill is crazy. I didn't that that was amazing. But um, shout out to both of them for putting on a show, uh, nonetheless, and giving the fans what they wanted. Um, it was I had a great time last night. Um, and yeah, shout out to them. All right, now to some hoops, man. Uh, did any? I know, big. You say you didn't get to see the Steph Curry doc. Austin, did you get to see the Steph Curry doc? Uh, I watched a portion of it. I didn't get to watch the whole thing, man. All right. So, well, we, we know about Steph Curry. There was nothing in the doc that n- neither of us n- don't know, right? Um, it kind of went through his whole – and this is on Apple TV+. Plus. You can watch Steph Curry's documentary, Underrated. And it goes through his uh, career through the NBA on how he went from this scrawny – 15-year-old, under-recruited player, went to Davidson, uh, had some struggles during his freshman year, all the way through the NBA, as you know, we know him now as the four-time NBA champion. So it was it was good to see. I'm actually I'm not a a fan of people getting documentaries about, about their life this early. Like I'd rather for us to wait. Like as like till he retires, kind of for him to be able to re- reflect. I feel like it's too early for him to be reflecting on his career and stuff like that. It's kind of different when you're like a Hall of Famer and a documentary comes out. Do you guys feel the same way, or am I tripping? 
Uh, I, I agree with you. I feel like it's a little premature, especially when his career is not over. But I think it is like important to chronicle the things he has done. I mean, he's been in the league 15 years, so it, it's, it's been quite a journey. But I think it's just a, a little early to, um, you know, start giving him his flowers to the degree of a documentary. But he does have a unique story, you know, with his father, Dell, you know, going to a small school like Davidson, being under recruited and then, you know, going, you know, what to the elite eight and then uh, getting to the NBA, having the struggles early with the ankle industry uh, injuries and things like that. So he does have a very unique story. And I think where he's at in his career in, in the Warriors is very unique. You, know, you lose Bob Myers. Um, you know, so it's, it's just like a, you know, very changing point. You know, they're at like a crossroad. Um, you still got the core with, you know, Draymond, Clay, and Steph, but you don't, you know, you don't have the KD anymore. You don't have the high expectations of, you know, the finals, the team, the out, the roster looks a, a different. So I think this is just like a new chapter in his journey. So I think it's very fitting from a time standpoint. Yeah, I'm in agreement. Uh, maybe a little too early, but from the reviews that I saw, it wasn't really much of a, a life and times of, of Steph Curry. It was pretty much just showing you, you know, exactly what the title was, kind of him, like, having the the underrated title, you know, moving forward. He's definitely nowhere near <laughs> underrated anymore. I don't think anyone's sleeping on Steph Curry. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure they'll come out with another one once he retires. I mean, the man is the unanimous, like, greatest shooter ever. Like, there's not even an argument anymore. So, I'm sure there'll be more that he can add to it and it'll be more of a, you know, of a career documentary down the line. But, you know, for what it was, it was a little early because, like you said, it, it, his his career is still going. There's still way more to add to it. Um, and I think the things that he does now with his career will probably be more significant. Not at the rosters. Like you said, Austin, the rosters kind of changed and there's 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 hype around the Warriors, but it's not this thing where it's like every year we like, oh, well, we know the Warriors are going to the finals. It's, it's a little different now. Now that it seems like as they've gotten older, they'll have to put in more work. So I'm, I'm excited to see what he does moving forward. But, but yeah, I, I could have waited on the documentary. Yeah, and I'm open to being wrong about that because the documentary was pretty much more about like his high school and college career wasn't, they ran through his NBA career. Like it was really fast. So I'm open to being wrong for this documentary because it was so centered around when he was younger and growing up and things like that. So I, I, I get it from that aspect. There's just a couple things that I wanted to take. I wanted to take from it because I thought it was important. And big, I know that, you know, we, we played division one basketball. So I, I think you'll find some of these, these things important as well. And Austin, you've been around the game. Um, most of your peers played played the game, so you can relate as well. He he originally wanted to go being a Charlotte kid. He wanted to go to Virginia Tech, and he wanted to go to Duke. They obviously said he was too little, um, and they didn't see the potential there. I know I can relate with that because I too was senior year in high school. I was six two one seventy five, soaking wet. Very skinny, um, not that athletic, didn't have a true skill, I, I would say. I, I was more of an all-around player, whether that's, you know, scoring the ball, playing defense. Defense in high school was my specialty because I was played with All-Americans and just people were bigger than me. So I had to find what made my identity on that team, St. Benedict's Prep. And it was defense. Coach Hurley, Danny Hurley, that now coach for UConn, said, listen, if you don't play defense, you're not playing. Like, he also said, if you don't get a 3.3 grade point average, you're not playing. 
So I had a couple things I needed to do to get on the court. Um, so I can relate to him wanting to go to bigger schools and not being big enough. Um, I think during my recruiting my senior year, a lot of teams told me that. They told me, you know, one more year um, of prep school to get stronger and, you know, we'll look out for you. We'll, we'll recruit you harder. Um, and it's tough. It's tough hearing that, like, as a, a 16-, 17-year-old kid because uh, you want to feel like people want you. People value your your talents. And uh, my parents wasn't having the, the one more year of school thing. Like, they were, like, they're paying tuition at St. Benedict's Prep. Um, they got probably got their own issues going on of what they want to do with their lives. So the financial part wasn't wasn't there for me. So I can relate to wanting to go to one of the bigger schools and not being having that uh, mature, maturity as far as physical physical level. And yeah, he made he made the most of it, but and got recruited by uh, Bob McKillop at Davidson eventually. But um, big, I, I know. You were a little bit more physically mature than me. You, you know, you were six seven, but you were still kind of skinny. Did you ever get that kind of feedback from schools like during your recruitment? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, it was different because you know when we were in high school, if you were over six five, you were probably playing big man. Um, so I think that was kind of a that kind of hindered, you know, me getting to another level just because I was skinny. I was six five and. In high school, you know, I'm walking around. I'm one of the tallest kids in the school. But when you get, like I did that year at St. Benedict's as well, and it's a whole different ball game. So now the center's a 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, um, so I never really got recruited out either. I had the bigger schools that I wanted. I wasn't, you know, my my, my aspirations weren't set on like Duke or UNC. But, you know, I had, I had talks with the Seton Halls and the Rutgers. And they all said the same thing that, you know, I needed to fill out. Um, I never really had a true position. Um, I played a little bit of the four, a small five. So, yeah, I, I can definitely relate to, to schools kind of being like, you know, you you got to do more. Um, I, the same for me when I got to St. Benedict's. You're playing with all Americans, people who are proven, people who are, you know, the, the Roy Williams and the Coach K's are showing up to practices. And I'm getting talked to by like the St. Peter's and the Delaware. So, yeah, I, I definitely feel you on 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 the the not getting the recognition that you feel like you know you sh- you deserve and things like that. Yeah, and it's crazy when you see, when you walk in the gym because we had about three top ten players probably. Smarto Samuels was like the top center in the in the two thousand. I don't care remember class like the two thousand eight. Yeah, yeah, and. Roy Williams walks in, and you're like, "This is my time. This is my time <laughs> <laughs> to show to show something. Like show, and that's you go the hardest you've ever gone. You like, so you definitely you know work to kind of get that recognition, and it it, it does suck when you don't get it. But when you get that one person who finds the value of what you bring to the table, it feels really really good. Um, but you got to take advantage of your opportunities. Like, and that that's a good segue into the next point. Like, Davidson having an opportunity for someone like Steph Curry. Like, they had seven seniors leaving the class that he was coming into. So it's and he took the opportunity. Could he have gone another route to try to go to a bigger school? Sure, but as he said in the documentary, like he wanted to actually be able to play. A lot of kids these days, and I don't say these days. I don't like. I don't want to sound like the old guy. Like since the beginning. 
since the beginning of recruitment, like it's either you be a small fish in a big pond or a big fish in a in a small pond. And that's the kind of situation he was in um, where he could, you know, potentially take another year postgraduate or he can go to Davidson and really try to make a name for himself. And uh, McKillop gave him that opportunity. So uh, how do you guys feel about, about, and I guess it's two levels, like there's the three-star recruits going to a bigger school or should like three-star recruits go to like a mid-major really make a name for itself? Because, because yes, people like to say, yeah, if you go to a mid-major and perform, people, people will find you. But it's a very small percentage. Like it's a very small percentage. It's like John Morant, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, and a few other, like as far as the guard goes, it's very tough. So do you think three-star players what what route is is more beneficial for them? Because it, even though you can score, you can probably go to a mid major score twenty points a game, maybe it's still going to be hard for you to make that leap that these other guards have made to superstar status. Like, and it, but if you go to a if you go to a Duke or UNC and play for you know a championship, you can be able to be on that stage and maybe transfer or something like that. As a three star recruit, what do you think like those type of players, uh, what routes they should take? Oh, well, that's an interesting question. Um, I think it just depends on your outlook. I know some some guys like to go to smaller schools, you know, within their area, by their home, so they have that comfort level. Um, they can still, you know, be with family and friends, uh, still play on a competitive level, uh, but the stakes aren't as high. The, um, the competitive nature is not that high. The pressure is not that high. Um, well, and they get some, they get patience um, and the time to build up their skill set where you don't have the, the rush and the urgency to, like, be one and done. Like, if you look at a guy like Fred Van Viet, playing at Wichita State, he was able to build up his skill set, play in a competitive environment at a smaller school and still make it into the NBA. You got a guy like Paul George did the similarly at Fresno State, um, you know, a mid-major program, still competitive, still being in California, build up your skill set, knowing you have the potential. You, you know, were a little bit underrated in high school, um, but you're able to, you know, have confidence in your game, evolve your game and grow within your game. So I think it really just depends. You, you got to have like a pros and cons list. Um, and I think overall, you know, just having that passion, that determination and having a plan of like, I'm going to get better. Um, you know, the best thing about freshmen is they're going to turn into sophomores. I'm going to continue to learn and I'm just going to stick with this journey. Yeah, I'm in agreement, too. I think, uh, well, for one, just coming from my experience, I think times are just way different. Um, I think a John Morant could go to Murray State now. And it's just like between social media and just the way content is just pushed out. It's easy for John Moran. He can have 25 points, a couple highlight dunks, and he's all over. I feel like when we were graduating high school, if you went to a mid-major, you were most likely stuck there. And then they have now, like, the transfer portal. So if you do feel like you're that good, there there's more options to get in where you want these days than there were when we were graduating high school. Because if you went to a mid-major, chances are – to get to a bigger school, if all you had was mid D ones, you had to you had to go JUCO or you had to go prep. I think nowadays, you know, if John Morant was coming out of high school today, he could do the same exact thing. He could go to Murray State, kill it. You got the the NCAA tournament getting more viewership than ever, uh, things like that. So they, there's definitely more options. Um, but I also think as a player, you just got to be real with yourself. Like you got to just, yeah, you might feel like you could be on the Duke stage or the UNC stage, but for whatever reason you aren't there. And I think you should just take that or players should just take that as a learning lesson. Just put your head down, work hard, 
and do what you got to do. And again, like I said, like like things like the transfer portal, uh, as long as that's around, there, there will always be opportunities to 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 go somewhere bigger and better. Um, but I also think you should go somewhere where where coach has your best interest. You don't, yeah, you could be a three star recruit, and some three stars do get recruited by the big schools, but you don't want to be recruited just to be the eighth, ninth man, and then you don't end up getting where you want to go to anyway because you're sitting behind the the four, the five star recruits as it is. But I think yeah, as long as you you have a plan, like Austin said, and you know what you need to work on, and you stay focused, and you and you work hard then there's definitely opportunities to go from from one place to the next. And the, the doc really showed how important, like, the NCAA tournament is for those type of teams, like the right. Davidsons of the world. Like, they beat Georgetown, they beat Wisconsin, and they lost to an Elite Eight to Kansas. And you really, when you get there, you really, like, if you want to make it to the league as a player like Steph Curry and at Davidson, you really need to make that a moment. Like, not just show up and, and lose. You really need to win one round, maybe win a second round, and really get that, that national notoriety because those are, that's a big scout, scouting event. And another name that comes to mind that did that is C.J. McCollum. I played against C.J. McCollum twice. Um, I scored 20 points both times, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, bro, 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 bro. <laughs> yeah, bro. And, and I was the primary... Um, person guarding him he, he didn't he never went off he had about like 19 i think and probably had like the same the next game but it never i never went into the game it was like he was about i think he was in two classes behind me or maybe one so i never looked at him and was like oh i see nba potential but then he goes to an NCAA tournament he becomes player the player of the year in the conference he goes off on duke and that's like catapults him into like lottery status i'm like wow like that is very important for players to have those moments in the ncaa tournament john moran had the same thing he, he i think he dunked over a player or something like that and he had almost like a i, I don't i don't know his stats but he he he'd had a great ncaa tournament as well i never i don't think i ever saw damian lillard in the tournament but us here nor there but you when you get there you need to have those type of moments. And he had those moments. He went to the tournament the first time and lost in the first round. But that second time, he knew, like, I got to show up. And, boy, I remember LeBron showing up to the game and them having, hitting that reverse that reverse on the other side while you're getting fouled. I was like, this boy is nice, bro. Like, he catapulted to himself into almost a household name in the college world. So, like I said, NCAA tournament is very important for players like that. Yeah, lucky you, Rello, 19 points. He, The two times I played him, he flamed us. He probably had 30. Yeah. 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 Yeah, like, yeah. It was like, man, like, yeah, he, the, wow, those moments are definitely important. What'd you say? Didn't y'all play zone? How, like, how did he do that? Bro, the dude could shoot. And he was, he was, you know, the, the the shooting from far wasn't a big thing like it is now in, across basketball, but he had range. And I think uh, out of all the guards that we played that year, he was probably the most next level ready. Maybe not body-wise, but as far as just from like a skill standpoint, you could just see the difference between him and our guards. Like, you can you could you would play him and you could tell like oh he he could play at Duke he could play at North Carolina and not just play but like start in like 
average a dub there too. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't. I wouldn't say that I played him and was like, oh yeah, he going to the league. But you knew he was going somewhere after Lehigh. You know, just just off playing him, the dude was just flaming everybody in the conference. Actually, um, two more points on Steph, then we we can move on. Um, one spoiler in a documentary. I should have said spoiler like ten minutes ago, but oh well. Um, one thing they didn't touch on, and I'm really surprised because I remember this when I was in college, seeing this on TV and thinking like, what the hell? He was. They ran a triangle and two on him. Loyola Marymount, I think it was, ran a triangle and two on Steph for a whole game, bro. He was double teamed from a for a whole game, and they held him scoreless. That, that's crazy to me, bro. Like that's crazy. Like, and as a good thing, like the fact that they they still won the game. He has zero points, yeah, but he was double teamed full court for a whole game from somebody for somebody who was not recruited or anything like that, seen as like not much potential there, not an athlete, blah blah blah. For him to have that type of respect from another team is crazy. And I thought they should have added that, but they didn't. Yeah, that that that's crazy. I mean, it it'd be a little bit harder to do that if he's at a bigger schools. And I just told you about mid-majors. Like, a person like Steph Curry, he is the clear-cut alpha on that team, you know, to, to the point where if they double-team him, it's going to be hard for them to win. You said they did win, but, you know what I'm saying, I'm sure he has some – from what I remember, he has some capable teammates. Uh, for sure. Yeah, that's a tough thing to do or the tough thing to overcome as a team when your your best player is getting double-teamed. And you're at a mid-major where you really only have one – star i would say and the rest of the players are just like what they are you know mid-major d1 players um so then, yeah that's definitely that's definitely crazy to get what'd you say boxing two that's crazy trying one trying and they lost and they won by 30 like what the f- uh, okay yeah, yeah from what i remember he did have some capable teammates like his team his team was pretty solid that's crazy bro um <laughs> And then the last point I wanted to make is to talk about how important a coach who believes in you is, how how important that is for a player. Like Bob McKillop saw that potential in him. He struggled his freshman, the first couple games of his freshman year. And it's it's documented in in the documentary. And there was a, there was a pivotal point for Steph Curry. He he said like for his confidence, like Bob Bob McKillop could have pulled him and said, listen, you know, you're struggling right now. We need to win some games. But he kept going with them. And I thought that was really important to, to note, like, how important coaching is. And even when Steph, Steph decided to go to the NBA, he was very emotional. And it felt like that was a family. I cannot relate to that. Like, ever since, like, my, my high school career started, I felt like I was working to prove something like to the coaches I was working to, I was always thinking about, I don't, I don't know how to say it. Like I felt like I was never like I was accepted, but I was, I always felt like if I wasn't doing something, I was, if I wasn't doing something right that, you know, they wouldn't have my back. I always felt that way. Um, I felt like coach Hurley um, had my back in certain instances um, he obviously gave me the opportunity of a lifetime. Like, I wasn't recruited to go to St. Benedict's. I was literally walking in the gym one day, and he said, hey, you want to play in the summer league with us? I said, sure. 
Um, and that was that was it. Um, so he obviously gave me the opportunity. I'm forever grateful. He was a great coach. He taught me the game in ways that I that he opened my eyes to things that I've never experienced before and made me the player that I was. But um, I always felt like I was proving something, something to him. And maybe maybe that was a good thing at that early age of my career. Going into college, I my 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 freshman college coach was like, I couldn't take him seriously to be to be quite candid with you. Um, I felt like our practices at St. Benedict's were harder than the practices we had in college. Like first day of practice, I'm like, why are we doing chess passes for ten minutes? Like I'm a Division One college player. I know how to chess pass. Like <laughs> if you want to, like, what what are we doing? And granted, the half the roster or three quarters of the roster was D3 players or D2 players. Like, so maybe they, I don't want to talk about them in the bad light, but maybe they're used to that kind of regimen of, of going through that. But we never had that type of, I never had that type of relationship with that coach. I never had that type of relationship with the coach after him. Um, I just happened to be the best player on the team. Like, I just, I just had to perform. As long as I was performing, then everything was all right. But I, I kind of bumped head with, heads with all my, my coaches at some point in time, except for Coach Shirley. I wasn't about to try him. But um, I think it's just important to note that coaching is important, man, and, and, and development. Um, and I, I wish I had that as I started to get better in my game. I felt like my coaching relationships were getting worse. And I think it really affected me mentally. Um, going into, you know, practices and games. I was so focused on, like, trying to help the team win. But I wish I had that college relationship um, with with my coaches. Did you have that relationship with your coaches, um, Bake? Um, yeah, not not so much throughout high school. Uh, I was on, like, a one-year rental at St. Benedict's. Me and Hurley developed a little relationship. But, again, he wasn't directly my coach. Uh and I think our head coach that was our head coach, I don't know if he was a head coach before. I'm not sure of his background. Um, and again, we had other players who were, you know, I'm not afraid to say it, who were clearly better than me. So I was never the focal point there. My high school coach when I was at Columbia and Maplewood, he was, I don't want to make a joke about it, but he was <laughs> a guy. He was a guy. You could tell he was a guy. Like, I think, I think he coached volleyball as well. He was a guy. He he was like they needed someone to like coach the team. He was there. He wasn't you know what I'm saying? I don't think he's 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 runner up for like no college coaching positions. Let's just say that. I think he was just a guy that was there. We didn't have that relationship. I was the clear cut best player on the team, but even still was hindered because he wanted to play a certain style and it just it wasn't to my benefit. Um Getting to to St. Benedict's, you 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 kind of lose uh, sight of sight of what's going on because it's like it's easy to be not. I mean, as a player, not starstruck because you, these are guys you go to class with and things like that. But it's easy to kind of get lost in the sauce at St. Benedict's when you're walking around with this dude's getting recruited by every college in the country. This dude's top ten. This dude's player of the year. Things like that. So it wasn't until college where I got that 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 player nurturing, you know, from a, from a guy who was like, look, you know, we believe in you. We feel like you could, you could go on to succeed and do this, this, and that. Um, and I also think it's important that these coaches who have these kids, a lot of time, especially nowadays with so much basketball is being played and there's a lot of traveling and a lot of eyes on these players. I think it's very, very important to have coaches who not only teach the game, but teach life lessons. And I think that's what I got out of college 
was that that coach that would not only tell us things on the court, but he would give us lessons that help us be better men, you know, off the court. And in a sense, you know, if you're a better guy and you're you're more responsible, it translates to on the court. You you show up to practice on time. You tend to to work harder when you you have someone cheering you on, you know, especially 16, 17-year-old kid, you know, you're away from home. It just works better when you have that someone that's like, yeah, you know, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. Um, so it, was, it, it took me a while to get there. But once I got to college, I had that relationship with my coach where they believed in me. I was like a focal point of the offense and the defense. Um, so it's definitely important. And I feel like these kids these days definitely need that. They don't need the guys showing up for the views and the likes or just for a job. They need someone who's really going to take their hand and walk them through what it looks like to be someone successful, um, especially with social media these days. Kids think, you know, it's highlights, highlights, highlights. You need someone that's grounded, that's going to show you like, okay, you want to get there. This is what you need to do. Um, so that, the, yeah, I agree that, that, that having that type of coach is very, very important. Yeah, I, I agree with Big just said. Um, like if you have a coach who like, you know, his coaching style is to cultivate you, your mind, uh, the mental aspects of life, your character, just aside from, you know, just trying to get you to perform, drill and thing like that. Um, it helps build you up, you know, all around as a person and a player. And it instills confidence in different aspects of your life. Um, so I think that is very important, but you just have so many different personalities, so many different styles. Like the coaches I grew up playing with, it was just all performance based, like get out there, play this and that. We're going to work throughout practice. We're going to work on this. Boom, boom, boom. Have this done. I expectations just do this, but it never was just, you know, emphasizing the teachable moments, um, corrective points and things like that. And I think once you're exposed to different coaches and different personality styles, you're able to see that and see how you can approach the game differently. So I think it's just, you know, it, it, it's just a process um, in your own maturation and your own development. Um, and there's different, you know, when you go to different stages, like I know you guys, you know, played high level and, you know, at Benedict's and things, you know, the pressure's there all around, whether it be on the coaching staff, the ability to compete and perform. So maybe there's not the, you know, the, 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 the level of patience or, you know what I mean, to, uh, to, to, to stick with a guy and, and, and be patient and cultivate his talents. And as opposed to, you know, some another place where, uh, expectations aren't as high. So it's just, you know, just all interesting all around. And it's great to hear yeah. feedback from you guys and your know, own personal experiences. That's a great point, Austin. Because, like I was, like I said, I wasn't recruited to go to Benedict's. And you guys know, we all went to high school together at some point. They were bringing in, they, meaning the coaching staff at St. Benedict's, were bringing in guards every year. Oh, yeah. I mean, a new amount of guards were coming in every year. So when I talk about opportunity, like for me, it was a year after year opportunity. Starting from sophomore year to junior year, senior year, I had to constantly, you know, continue to say, hey, I'm better than this guy. Hey, I can bring something to the table that this guy can't bring. Hey, I'm going to work harder than this guy. Like I had to do that for three, well, two years. Sophomore year, I didn't play at all. And I knew I wasn't going to play. <laughs> junior year and senior year, I had to constantly prove that I was doing something different so that I can play like that took a lot out of me and that's probably why like I grinded so much from junior year of high school to senior year of college that I didn't really have the urge like to like really push myself to go professional like I had a couple um offers to go like the Denmark and I think the other one was 
somewhere in South America. But I just didn't feel like it. Like I, I grinded for, for a long time to, to to kind of be a respectable basketball player that I just thought like, listen, I'm good. I'm I'm good, bro. Um, I know, Bake, you went on to do your thing professionally, and I'm happy for you. But me, I, I was good. Once once the deals fell through, I was like, all right, I'm I'm a, I'm just like trying to get this money and just <laughs> nah, man. The, the the burnout is real. Believe me, bro. There, there's definitely times, especially even Benedict's, especially long practices at uh at, at St. Peter's where I went to school. Is the, the the burnout is real? So I, I wouldn't even dismiss that. That that's probably a thing for a lot of these kids, especially the kids that grow up in so much much spotlight. Because then now, well, one thing about us is we grind it for our own expectations. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, when you're young, you know, you're just filled with passions and your dreams. I remember. Right. Uh, you know, my first year at Benedict's, and we had we came and we had this kid named Juwan Carter. He was, you know, top oh, yeah. in the country. Then a couple months later, we got Eugene Harvey ended up going to Seton Hall, and then a couple months later, David Kubion came. So you know, we had you know three D one point guards all come in to a school within one year. So you knew the competitive level was really really high. And I was just like, you know, I might need to look at this tennis thing. You know what's funny? I know you, you guys remember this. Like being a convocation, convocation to people who don't know is like our prayer, our prayer period every morning before class at St. Benedict's. Every morning. Like we're having church. It's snow. It's, snow, it's, uh, it's hailing outside. It's a hurricane. It's a tornado. You got to be at convo. It don't matter. Um, so I just remember during convo, first day of school, he's like, I want everybody to play a sport, Father Ed. I want everybody to play a sport, and nobody can try out for basketball. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit. Like, he meant varsity basketball. He's like, you're not going to play varsity basketball. Go to another sport. Try fencing. Try wrestling. Do not go for basketball. I had went to Danny Hurley, and this is a longer conversation that than I expected, but I, I like it. Um, I had went to Danny Hurley's basketball camp the summer before freshman year. So I was already on his radar from like a freshman team perspective. He was the hiring coach for um, the freshman team. So I remember in the freshman tryouts, it was so many people in them tryouts, bro. Like the whole class was in the tryouts. You remember that, Austin? Yeah. Bro. <laughs> The whole class was in the freshman trials, where soccer players was in the, in the basketball trials. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> so I remember I did, like, spin move, layup. I had a block, and I did, like, assist. And he said, all right, you're done. Ten minutes. I'm, I was done in trials. So um, I felt good about that. <laughs> See, real quick, real quick, going off on a tangent here, man, but the name Eugene Harvey still gives me nightmares, man. First of all, St. Peter's, it's like 60 to 60, bro. When I tell you it's like no time left on the clock, there's literally just enough time to just throw the ball. And this is one of my biggest regrets in my careers, bro. He catches the ball at half court. We in Seton Hall. I think the game was on like ESPN2 and everything, bro. He catches the ball. And I'm like, man, Eugene can't shoot. I mean, if you know Eugene, he's not a shooter. He was always like a crack to the cup type of guard. He catches the ball at half court, bro. I had a chance. If I'd have took two steps, me being six seven, I probably could have got a hand up, maybe even blocked it. And I did one of those. I ain't about to make that. We on the overtime. Hey, yo. It in from half court, bro. 
I think I cried that night, man. <laughs> you definitely cried, cried that night, man. It was hurtful. But yeah, I just wanted to say that. I think I remember that game too. Bro, it was yeah. bad. It was bad, man. And let me just rattle off a few names to tell you about the type of players I was I was competing with freaking daily, nightly to get a freaking spot in minutes. Like you said, Eugene Harvey, David Kubian, uh, let's name the schools. Eugene Harvey, Seton Hall, Dave, David Kubian, Marquette, Tamir Jackson, Rice, Dewan McMillan, USF, South, US, University of South Florida, uh, Zach Rosen, the freaking like all-time leading assist and scorer in UPenn history. Um, who else? Oh, two Holloway. Like, two Holloway came to Benedict's. And he clearly just wasn't with it. Like he wasn't with the, the bullshit. Like he was like, not. <laughs> he was like, this ain't for me because it, it was business is different. So that's just a couple. There's a couple. There's more that came and went. Like that was in that pool of like, this isn't for me. So yeah, it was tough, man. It was tough, but I, I'm happy I went through it. Um, it. It helped my mentality of what I do to this day. Like to this day, I know every day at work, I gotta prove myself. I gotta prove my work. They can replace me tomorrow so i gotta continually get better at my job and i gotta you know take every day and, and make the most of it so yeah man yeah, yeah definitely it, it a lot of a lot a lot of life lessons basketball will teach you that you could easily translate to the to the to life just period just the hard work the having to prove yourself just overcoming ob- obstacles you know uh you get injured you got to rehab you got to get back you know, certain days where, like, you know, we had no choice in college. You know, you're on scholarship, so you, you got to show up to practice. But you might have had a long mm-hmm. night. You might have been studying. You might have been putting in work. Whoa, 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 you got to go to practice for three hours. You know, things like that. Make they you translate. Wasn't you wasn't studying, fam. <laughs> Yo, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> First of all, bro, First of all, bro my, my GPA was over 3.0 when I graduated. I know that ain't nothing to be like, oh, should I, you know. But it was there. Considering what, how high school went for me, I, I'll take it. I'll take the diploma that I'm not, <laughs> that I'm not ever going to use. All right, fine. I'll, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Um, <laughs> all right. I think that's the end of our Steph Curry session that kind of went into a reflective life. <laughs> um, but that was cool. I think we're going to have more conversations that, about that as more topics uh, come through. So, yeah, that was fun. Um now we're going to move on to some NBA topics, just a few. Um, and the first one we'll go with is your boy, Bake. I'm looking, I'm looking on you to lean on, in on this conversation because your boy just got paid freaking five years, $304 million to Jalen Brown. No player options, fully guaranteed, back up the Brinks truck. Um, <laughs> a couple of Brinks trucks. I'm 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 still having troubles accepting these salaries, bro. Like I'm I'm still having troubles with the you know the salary cap is going to be this in three years type of mentality, and I know I need to fix that. But um, between him, Tatum, Kim Porzingis next year, it's going to be what 117 ish million dollars, 115 something like that. That's at that and that being your big three, are you fully confident in that big three to do something special? I know you guys have depth, but that big three in particular, how how do you see that coming to shape? As a, as a as a basketball realist, 
And I, because I, I, I take pride in not being the one that just flows with the takes of everybody else. Uh, and most Boston fans are probably excited to have Porzingis. But I think the ones who, the ones of us who really pay attention to ball, I mean, you're iffy on it because we not only the money paying those guys that that type of money, I'm not really mad at because that's just what the market is for players of those caliber. Um, I'm also worried about depth. Um, but just to speak on Jalen Brown for a sec, I think people see richest contract in history and then equate it to Jalen Brown and just and you know the math doesn't math because. He's not top five player in the NBA. He's not first team all NBA all the time. You know, what I'm saying? he did make an all NBA team, which is what 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 qualified him for that type of contract. And I think people uh, need to take a step back and just realize that's just the market these days. You know, for a player averaging 26, 27 points a game at his age, that's just what the market is. Him having the richest contract isn't going to be. Like, it's not going to be that long. Like, it was a time when we seen Mike Conley get, like, 100, almost 60 million. Everybody was like, oh, my God, Mike Conley? Like, and then a year later, someone got 200 mil. Like, he's going to be the richest player for, what, a couple months till the next star gets gets the bag. It's just it is what the market is. Um, it, pertaining to the Celtics, I mean, you kind of had to do it. Like, I don't see what other option they had. Like, they they had to pay him. So, I mean, to me, it, it is what it is. I mean, now, one thing I am happy about is Jalen Brown, the person, his character. He's already went on record talking about the charities and, you know, bringing back Black Wall Street and those type of things. So, if anybody go, on the South is going to get that type of bag, I'm, I, I like Jalen as a player and as a person. Uh, I know he's going to do right with the money, so I'm not really tripping in that aspect. As far as the Celtics is concerned, I mean, we'll see. If Porzingis can play how he did with the Wizards, even though some people would look at it as like, you know, empty calorie stats just because he was on a bad team putting up numbers. Um, I definitely think he has that type of talent to still be a 22, 23 point per game scorer and a decent defender. He has like 7-4. So, I'm, you know, I'm I'm cool with it. I, I didn't like the, the losing Marcus Smart, but... You know, I'm, I'm cool with it. Like, I'm not, I'm not really tripping. I, I still think we'll be in contention, um, but I also think that Jalen Brown uh, has no choice but to make a make a step. And I think it was two years ago he was damn near the best player in that finals outside of anyone named Steph Curry. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not really worried too much. He definitely does have to step it up. You know, as much as he's a good dude, he's going to have to perform. And spotlight is on him now because he'll go into the season having getting paid almost the most money, you know, total contract wise. I don't think that actual contract starts to like next year or something like that. So I yeah, mean, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I'm he definitely, the, the spotlight is on him from everywhere. Um, Cause you know, if another superstar comes up money or not, he still very well get traded. If it doesn't work out this year, this is a big year for the Celtics. You pay somebody that much money, you know, whether they had to or not, people are still going to expect return on the investment. So it's 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 finals a bust for Boston. <laughs> Simple as that. Yeah, I, think, I I agree with you, man. There's a lot of expectations on Boston. I mean, with those contracts with their big three, they've you know been on the cusp the last you know four or so for so odd years. Um, you know they have you know all the coaching changes, so there there is a lot of pressure on Boston. 
I like Jalen Brown's ability, and I agree with you. You know, he's made those qualifiers to, to get the contract by making, you know, all-NBA second team. Um, he's a constant performer throughout the season, one of the better young wings in the NBA. Him, you know, he's <laughs> great tandem. So, you know, I'm excited to see what they do, if they can take the next step, because it is championship or bust. I mean, they have so much talent. You know, you got – um, you know, KP, Tatum, Brown, Brogdon, White, um, Horford, um, Robert Williams. So you do have a young nucleus of players and a really talented roster. So I think, you know, it, I agree it's championship or bust, but I'm excited to see what they can do throughout the season. Um, and yeah, with the contracts, you know, NBA players are going to get paid. You saw, you know, Anthony Edwards, you know, he's a year out from a restricted free agency, but, you know, he made an all-star team, so why not just take the, 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 you know, the money now? So it just makes sense. You know, you ambitiously could have went for more, but it's just like, I'm going to take this money. Tyrese Halliburton, you made an all-star team under your rookie initial rookie year. You're going to take that money. You're going to get 260, and it's going to look crazy, but you deserve it. That's just, you know, players get paid. Right. That's just what it is. Like, I think most, like, the casual fans who don't really pay attention to the qualifiers and things you need to like, you can't just walk on the court and just have a name and get a max contract. Like <laughs> there are statistical achievements you have to come to, to, to be able to get the max. So it's in a, in, in a technical sense, people might not feel like the player and his ability deserve that much money, but from a technical sense, from a, you have to do a, B and C to get this. He did all that. So, from that yeah. stance, like yeah, so yeah, so he he earned his money. And you know me, man. I'm always, I'm a I'm a player's guy. So you know these these owners make billions. Give the man, <laughs> give the man his money. He's selling tickets. He shows up and plays. He's not a load manager. You know what I'm saying? So give him his man. Get the man his money. Yeah, and you know he said he's gonna give all this money. Well, not give, but he's gonna put all this money back into the to the city. Uh, the Black Wall Street comment charity and all that stuff, but I saw that tax rate. I saw that. I saw. Uh, <laughs> I saw how he, much he, 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 he getting taxed, and it's a lot. Like I think he it said, it's going to be twenty four million dollars left with. That's still twenty four million dollars net, which is wild. But let's, let's see how much. Just how much he throws back in the community, especially somewhere like like Boston. That's you know has a reputation. Maybe he goes back to Georgia or, or California when he went to school. We'll see, we'll see what he does with that money. That's that's still a shitload of money, and it gives me yeah. thinking. Who else is like, who's who's next for those big contract extensions? I think Ooh. AD is one. AD is one. I think he's up for his extension. They're probably gonna have start having talks about it. Is um, he? Is AD three hundred million max? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. This is in yes. line for another big deal. Um, there's a couple of players. Shea Gildas Alexander is in line in two years. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of guys breaking this 300, 350, almost yeah. $400 million contract status. It's definitely yeah, unprecedented take- for sure. And I mean, I th- they're going to be, I think people need to understand. And I think, yeah, your people from the outside view, you know, those type of people that are like, that's too much money to be dribbling a ball. I think people need to understand, like, this is just what, the game and the entertainment industry is commanding at this point. Like these teams and these players generate billions of dollars for these owners. Like, and I don't think people understand that. Like they'll see all they see is, Oh my God, this dude's getting paid 300 million to dribble a ball. But yeah, you got thousands of thousands of people every other night paying hundreds of dollars to come see him play. It, it, it adds up. 
the contract is fine. The contracts are fine uh, from a number standpoint with, with like the profit sharing, the TV deal that's going to come up in the in a few years. Players just got to perform. I don't if you get paid sixty million dollars. I don't want to hear about these these pop up injuries. I don't want to hear about you know he's not playing for two weeks because of an for ankle injury. Like that's not that serious. Like these trainers got to chill. It's not always on the players. Like these 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 trainers they got to. They got, we, as we have to get with the times with these contracts and accept them, at, these players got to be on the court, bro. Like, I'm sorry. Um, they got they to be able to be available for these fans who's paying all, these mo- all this money uh, for the television uh, distribution companies that are paying all this money to have the best players play. So whether that's changing, you know, medical regimens, um, switching your diets, becoming more focused and then those type of things be available. These players got to be available. I don't, I, I don't want to see a $65 million player on the bench. I, I'm sorry. So, yeah, I agree. That. And that brings up another topic though. That is, I think, I think the, the NBA could do more. I don't, I'm not a big fan of the old management either. Uh, but then again, I'm not, I'm not an NBA player. I don't know what these players go through, but I know at the end of the day, is basketball. You you can get out there. And I think some of these injuries and some of like people making $40, $50 million and only playing like half a season is ridiculous. So I'm in agreement with that. But I do like that the NBA put, you know, standards on like these these all-star NBA, all-NBA things. You have to play, I think, what it is, 65 games now. So I, I think that'll help because it'll translate. Now, most people will be like, oh, well, you know, those things don't really matter. But yeah, if you're up for a max, super max contract, and the only way you get the super max is if you, you know, you play 65 games, then there's incentive because now you're talking about getting a regular max, which may be like what 220, 240, and then if all you got to do is play 65 and you could get 300 million, then you know there's definitely incentive. So hopefully things change. I'm, I'm definitely not a fan of the the 50 million dollar player only playing 50 games in a season. That's that's whack to me. <laughs> We got to get back to the to the times where it's okay to play at eighty eight percent. It's okay. <laughs> like yeah. nothing. Nobody will think less of you. People will think more of you if you play hurt. Like it's okay, bro. You got a hurt wrist. You can play. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right. Um, you be out for like a finger. In my oh, I jam my finger. I'm out two weeks. Like. It is when like. It's late January, almost early February, and guys are like, I'm just gonna sit out two weeks, you know, with this little little wrist injury before the All Star break. I'll just chill, start my vacation a little early. Nah, I, yeah, I'm not. They, they, they gotta do better. You just took off for three weeks. I get it. I get it. All right, but shout out to Jalen Brown. I, I like Jalen Brown as a player. I think, like like Big said, he has another step to go. Um, you gotta work on that left hand too. For sure. <laughs> Definitely got to work on that handle because he got exposed a couple of times. That's my man, and I'm always be a Celtics fan, but he definitely, there's definitely things that he got to work on for sure. Oh, shit, I get kicked out. <laughs> looks like we all still in here. Oh, did we lose Rail? Yeah, uh, that sounds like it. All right, well, until we get them back, we'll see if we could, you know, progress the conversation on. I think one of the things 
that was next on it was the 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 Bronny James situation and him yeah. collapsing. And then uh, I I just took a time to reflect on like the work. I remember as a man, I was 15, 14, 15. There just wasn't so much pressure on you as a basketball player. It's like you went to the courts, you probably did a little workout, and then that was that. But these days, these kids are coming up with so much pressure because they're the, they're supposed to be the next big thing. So it's like they may be overdoing it a little bit. And I'm not sure what the the medical stats said about Bronny, but, you know, it's definitely a scary situation when you have 15, 16, 17-year-olds, you know, having heart problems, you know, playing sports. It shouldn't probably shouldn't be like that. And I know there's people out there that want to, you know, contribute that to a certain vaccine. I'm not in line with that, but <laughs> it's, it's definitely it's definitely a, a, a scary situation when you have kids this young. But I think it's the, the overworking. Because you think about it, you know, like when I was a kid, there is a lot of basketball being played. Like we were AAU, we were playing sometimes two, three times a day, actual games. So and I, I think there's just a lot of pressure. There's a lot of stress. And then just who he is, it got to come with a lot of stress because LeBron James, son, you so much pressure to be the next LeBron James that, you know, it probably got to his body. Yeah, I definitely yeah. agree. I, you know, when anytime you talk about heart health, you know, you got to take it seriously. But, you know, from, from a teenage standpoint, it really is alarming. But like you said, I think he does have that added pressure and anxiety on him that might have, you know, you know, added to it, um, impacted his health. Um, but, yeah, I'm just, you know, glad to hear that he's doing well. Um, because even growing up, I remember I used to watch the movie The Sixth Man um, with Kadeem Hardison and Marlon Wayans. Yeah. And it was just like, you know, like, you know when you, see, you hear a player collapsing and passing out, like, you, you, don't, you don't hear this commonly and regularly growing up. But to see it now, you know, it's a lot alarming and to, you know, see the regularity of it. I mean, with DeMar Hamlin last year um, and you just seeing these different things, events happen in sports, you just got to take it to effect and account, you know, that, you know, we are physically, you know, we do have physical limits um, to understand our bodies um, and, the, and the, the constant strain we do put on ourselves and the overexertion, you know, to, 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 to hydrate and the amount that we do put into our body to wear with tear. So it's very alarming to see. And you just try to get you know, more, more knowledge upon what can impact it, how this happens and things like that. So, um, but I'm really just, you know, glad to hear that Bronny's doing, doing well. I hope he, you know, has a great, fantastic career at USC, but I definitely think over the next couple of years, we'll be definitely investing more, um, in the grassroots and, and, younger sports on, you know, heart health, cardiac arrest, things right. like that. I think with the amount of games that are being played, I think some of these bigger programs like AAU teams and like the, some of the high schools who are big time with basketball, they may need to invest in that, 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 that training team. I don't know, like when I was in high school, I think we had one trainer for like the entire school. You know, I think they may be, it may be time to just kind of, it may be time, especially with the, 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 the amount of work these athletes are putting in these days, playing way more games, uh, just feeling way more pressure uh, at a younger age. Because uh, I feel like when I was young, AAU was just, you know, it was AAU. You kind of you didn't really fill out, like, what was going to happen with your future till about, like, junior, senior year, maybe earlier if you were, like, a phenom. But I feel like now it's like – you hear about like 11 year olds getting looked at by Duke and things like that. And I just think that added pressure might not be the greatest for like a younger, for like the younger generation of sports. But I definitely think that these coaches and teams might need to start investing in someone to look out for these athletes from a health standpoint at an earlier age, rather than just, Oh, he's young. He'll be all right. 
Yeah, so I, I, definitely, I, I definitely think, you know, with the, with the constant, the way that, you know, grassroots is evolving with all these trainers, um, these new performance academies, um, even with social media, you know, that adds a, high, a new high pressure that we haven't seen before. So I think we definitely need to examine that because these players aren't able to detach mentally. They might have a good game, bad game, but then they go online, they keep hearing about it, and then it's just constantly in, within their mind and, you know, plays into their psyche. So, you know, I definitely think we definitely need to examine the light and, you know, we look at players. Um, that from a you know a mental standpoint, physical standpoint, um, what they're going through and how they're processing it. So yeah, yeah. Um, I'm back. I don't know why. Oh, happened. welcome back, brother man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have much to say on Bronny. I just want to say prayers to him. Um, uh, wishing him a speedy recovery. I've been looking up like the the technical aspect of like sudden cardiac arrest because we've we've heard about players passing out like. A, f- a few times, like the kid Conte Johnson from Florida a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, USC also had another person who, uh, another kid who unfortunately collapsed uh, maybe in 2022 or something like that. So it got me looking up like, what are some of the causes for this? And there's a couple. It's coronary heart disease, um, congenital since birth heart conditions, changes to your heart structure because of disease or infection, or extreme physical activity or blood loss. Hopefully for Bronny is that, that last one, extreme physical activity. Maybe he was just doing too much and got overexerted and, you know, ultimately his heart stopped. Um, that being the least extreme of the, of the four bullets I just said. And then the other thing is other, other sudden cardiac deaths causes include cardiomyopathy. I, I don't know what that is. From alcohol use disorder, obesity, genetic disorders of your heart muscle, including hypo, including a couple of things that I can't pronounce. So um, <laughs> it also this article also says, and this is by the Cleveland Clinic, sudden cardiac death in athletes is rare, about one in a hundred thousand. Most professional athletic programs will screen for this. Um, and people who are younger, most sudden sudden cardiac cardiac death occurs when while playing team sports. So um, while it's not it's rare, it did happen, and we're glad that it wasn't fatal. We're super glad it's not it wasn't fatal. Um, so just we just gotta protect. We just gotta keep you know going to the doctor. We gotta have better screenings. Um, whatever screening USC's has and whatever the NCAA requires, we need to ramp it up. We need to ramp it up because these kids are working hard. They're coming in to your program, having already been through the rigors of playing team sports. So we need to just triple, quadruple check that these kids are okay. But we're glad he's all right. And um, LeBron, uh, you know, I know he's been going through a lot the past couple of days. I felt really bad for him. Um, posted a video of him playing the piano yesterday. So he has all his like neurological functions and he's, he's alert and everything. So that's good. It's good to see. All right. One to- one topic that I I really was somebody brought to my attention. Like I don't really like the the comparisons. I don't really like the debates between who's this or who's that. But this one is really good. Um, Dwayne Wade versus James Harden. Um, both Hall of Famers. Both uh, MVP. Well, did they win MVP? No, I don't think they. No, he doesn't have a, a he doesn't finals have a, MVP though. Finals MVP, yeah, I think he is. He doesn't have an MVP. Harden does. 
Um, and it got me thinking, prime versus prime, who I'd rather have on my team. Um, I think in their prime versus prime, like obviously Dwayne Wade was the best player on the championship team in 2006. Um, way better defender, obviously. But James Harden is, is like a top four, five scorer of all time. Like legendary scorer. Yeah, legendary <laughs> scorer. Uh, can pass the rock with the best of them. But I think I'm just going to edge it to Dwayne Wade. I'm going to edge it to Dwayne Wade because of that 2006, um, the way he took that team. That wasn't really a championship roster if you look back at it. Like, yes, they had Shaq, yes, but he wasn't like Shaq Shaq. They had Alonzo Mourning, but he wasn't Alonzo Mourning, Alonzo Mourning. They had Gary Payton, but he wasn't Gary Payton, Gary Payton. Like, they had these players, but they wasn't they wasn't the hymns that they, they were used way, to. They were pay, past it, way past Exactly. Prime. Way past prime. Way past way, way past. So I think with that, him being able to do that and his for his legacy and then being the better defender while also having a year where he scored, uh, he, was, he was the leading scorer in the league. I think I got to give it to Dwayne Wade because James Harden is, while he's supreme offensive talent, doesn't have the defensive ability. And I don't like him. I'm trying not to put this in perspective, but it's, it's only right. Like we, we have unconscious bias, like him jumping from team to teams just doesn't sit right with me. But if you go prime for prime when he was scoring 40, like for two months straight, I think I'd still take Dwayne Wade because of the, the defensive ability and the leadership aspect, as well as he brings scoring. So that's my take. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement. I, I'd probably give the edge to Wade. And, it, I mean, it also you also have to – we're obviously just going off, you know, just 1v1. Um, but if you're building a team, you got to go through context. What does your team look like? What does your team need? Obviously, if you need someone that's going to score 35 a game because your team just isn't offensively capable, then – you know, there's that. And I also say, you know, just to play devil's advocate is on, on James Harden, I think one thing that outside of the scoring, because I think D-Wade in his prime could get you 40, might look different than what James Harden is doing. Uh, and it might take longer because D-Wade was a – I think in his prime, he was more of a slasher. You didn't really look at him as a shooter. He had a little mid-range game. He was definitely not a three-point shooter, like, at all. Um, but I think one thing that, that – that gets, I don't know if it gets overlooked, but one thing that James Harden definitely does better outside of than D Wade outside of scoring, I think, is the playmaking. The man literally led the league in assists this year. So just to play devil's advocate, I think he does have that. But I, I'd still, because of the defensive, li- uh, the defensive liability that James is, I, I would give the edge to Wade as well. Just, just, just off that. No, that's just some really good points. Uh, I, I'm probably going to agree with you guys. Just also. I think in the competitive standpoint, like Wade was such a competitor. He brought it nightly. I mean, mm-hmm. injuries ultimately like derailed his career a little bit early, but those heat years, I mean, he was just every night young flash was such, you know, a competitor and he would bring it every night. I don't really see that, that urgency in James Harden. I was, you know, I will always hold, have this knock on James Harden that game seven against the Warriors when the, when the Rockets just folded, they shot, I think it was three for 27 from three. So I'll always hold that personal gripe against them. But, I mean, it's really close. I mean, that's one of the better shooting guard comparisons that I've seen in the last couple of years. I mean, they're both just elite-level talents. Um, 
have had great, great careers, but I'm going to have to slightly give their edge to, to Flash. Um, although I love Harden. I mean, he's going to end up with, you know, 30,000 points, you know, 10,000 plus assists. So he's going to be one of the all-time greats. And I really love his game. You know, he's very versatile, um, great playmaking ability. He can stretch the floor, can shoot it, great in the pick and roll. Um, has, you know, helped modernize the game, you know, with the Euro step, step back, um, just a great skill set. But I'm probably going to have to lean with D-Wade just because of, you know, his defensibility, uh, defensive ability, capability, competitiveness, Team USA, those that, that I think it was, what, that 2018 when it was him, Kobe, uh, LeBron, that was another big time when they, you know, when they ultimately started formulating a plan for the big three in Miami. So I'm probably going to have to go with Wade. Um, but it's it's really close, and you know, Harden still has a you know a number of years less a left to ultimately you know, uh, you know, add some some things onto his his, his pedigree. But as of right now, I'm gonna have to get lean slightly towards Wade. Yeah, it's it's super close, and you bring up a good point with Ballhead D Wade and uh, USAB. He was arguably he performed arguably the best out of everybody on that team. Oh um, yeah, I mean, yeah, he was fantastic. He came out the bench, so. Um, I'm going to go with D-Wade. I think we all going with D-Wade, we heard. so. But James Harden is right there, man. He's not he, He's not far off, far off. And even, you know, I wouldn't be mad if some people did pick him. Like, I don't yeah, think there's a wrong. an argument made for him being, you know, being a better player. I just think I can't give him the edge. <laughs> Personally, I can't, give, I can't give it to him. I can't give it to him. Um, but, yeah, that's one, like you said, that's one of the better comparisons I, I've seen. And, like, I don't, I don't really like to get into it, but I thought that was a good one. Yeah. And shout um, out to D-Wade, man. He's going to the uh, Hall of Fame this year, getting inducted by AI, too, man. Shouts out to D-Wade. Yeah, for sure, man. That's, that should be good for him. Uh, a good, a great moment for him. Uh, came out of Marquette. When Marquette wasn't Marquette that it is now, it was, it was, it was on a – it was lesser known than back then. Um, had a triple-double in, in the NCAA tournament, right? Like, Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got beat by Kansas, but it was a really good game, so – yeah, I remember that was, he was he was a problem. He, he was definitely a problem. And when he came in the league, two thousand three, I was like, I don't know who this guy is. Like, I wasn't watching college basketball like that. I just knew Braun and and Melo. Like, where's where's Braun and, and Melo going? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean that whole that whole two thousand three uh, NCAA tournament. I mean, they also had Karan Butler. He was fantastic at UConn too. Had a great tournament. Uh, I remember D Wade's uh, first playoff series when they had played Baron Davis and the Hornets. That's when I really became a believer. They they were going at it. Yeah, he hit the game winner against yeah. uh, Indiana. I think it was mm-hmm. um, was was showing his athletic ability, and I'm like, damn, this dude is really really good. I didn't I didn't know. So that was a home run pick by Miami. I don't know mock drafts back then. I don't know where he was supposed to go, but uh, <laughs> they, they made the right choice for sure. Um, so shout out to D Wade. This Hall of Fame class this year is crazy. I don't, I can't remember who's really in it, but I, I know it's pretty crazy. Uh, let me look who, who's who's going to be in I it. I think we got Popovich is one of the coaches. D Wade is one of the players. Um, there's a couple big players, if I'm not mistaken, who have also yeah. gotten Dirk, Dirk, Dirk. Yep. Damn, Dirk. Dirk is my guy, bro. I love Dirk, man. I'm a big Dirk guy. He is the guy. Best foreign-born player ever. Yes. Yes. Pau Gasol, Becky Hammond, mm. Tony Parker. Yeah. 
It's a loaded class. I feel like every class from now on is going to be like loaded for for sure because we grew up with these players and now it's going to be more uh, players that we grew up watching and stuff like that. So we're like, damn, like yeah, yeah, right. Players getting into Hall of Fame like this is loaded class. We're in like 2004 or something like that. We might not, they might not resonate with us a little bit. Like there's that disconnection. So uh, shout out to everybody in the Hall of Fame class. Love Pal Gasol. That is my guy. Uh, got his jersey retired this year. Um, Laker champion two times. Uh, so shout out to Pal. Got to get Pal a shout out. Yeah, definitely had an underrated career. I don't think people know how good Pal was. And even before the Lakers days, he was a dog on Memphis. I mean, he was still pretty young at that point, but he was definitely like his skill set was crazy when he was in Memphis. Like it was all over the court. Uh, I don't think he became much of a mid-range shooter until later, but he was definitely a good defensive player. He had moves, could rebound, could defend a little bit. Yeah, definitely one of the more underrated careers for sure. Yeah, it was. I always like tell people he he was so good, but he was an afterthought because the West had so many good power forwards. Like you mm-hmm. had Dirk, KG, C Web, and then you think about a Pal Gasol. Like, that's how good at one point the Western Conference fours were. And it was just a great time for basketball growing up to watch those guys. Can you guys name two players that were in the Lakers versus trade for Pagasol? Or can you name the whole, the whole uh, trade? The whole trade. I know I can't. <laughs> I, I, I don't remember that trade. I just remember waking up one day like, oh, oh I got uh, Mark Gasol, I think he was one of the picks. Here you go. And I'm blanking. We had just drafted, we had just drafted Marcus Hall that year. Yep. So I think he was one of the picks. And, I, and I'm drawing a blank, Dan. That's the only other one. I All think. right. I got you. So Marcus Hall, as you said, second round pick. They, we gave him up. Kwame Brown. <laughs> Stephen Kwame A. Brown. Javaris Crittenton. Oh, oh my, my Lord. Wow. Oh, man. I think Jarvis Crittenden just got out of jail um, like a few weeks ago or a year ago. And Aaron McKee. Aaron McKee, former Sixers great Temple grad. That was I thought we were talking about different Aaron McKee. He was still in the league at that point. Hey. <laughs> That's facts. That's facts, right? He was still in the league. And two first-round picks, 2008 and 2010. So Kwame Brown, Jarvis Crittenden, Aaron McKee, Marcus Saul, and two first-round picks. Yeah. Shout out to Mitch Kupchak. Yeah. <laughs> that just shows you how underrated he was, to my point earlier. Just <laughs> Lakers didn't have to give up nothing crazy. I mean, they did the two first-round picks, yeah, but when you're getting a player that, that's potential all-star, there's always going to be at least one or two first-round picks given up. Yeah, that's just the players that were involved for the trade, like all three of those players weren't nowhere near his talent, even put together, like Call me Brown, man. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that would a load. Yeah, but if you think about it, they got Marcus All. Two first-round picks. Yeah. So that we know. Obviously, he, was, he just got drafted, so it wasn't like we had time to see that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a decent trade. You know, shout out to Paul Gasolo, man. People, oh, when shit. I talk to Kobe fans, and they always bring up not, – no knock on Kobe, RIP to the GOAT. But the, the, I, I, he definitely had more help than people with, with – Yo. At that, that second championship go-round when he won, I think it was like one or two more. 
Like he, I be trying to tell people like, nah, Kobe wasn't on that team by himself. Like he had two All Star big men, not just one. I mean, you add Pau Gasol, you pair him with Bynum and Lo. Like that's a front line. Yeah, fun Shout times. Fun times, man. Fun times. I remember that. All right. Do we want to talk about Katie and the ganja? That's what we want to talk about. I'm down to talk about the ganja, man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, some context. Katie was on, I think a, he was at like his boardroom conference, his company boardroom, um, speaking to a moderator. And he said that he was a big advocator for weed being off the ban list to Adam Silver. Um, he even said that he smoked like right before the meeting and walked in smelling like it. So it sent the message. Um, I've never been a big weed guy as far as like using it. I don't, I don't know the research behind it. I know that people that I know who've done it, it doesn't really affect them in like a performance way. Like it doesn't really affect them. If anything, it just like they like to chill. Like they like to, they, they like to be chill when they're when they're doing it. Like it helps to take the ease off a little bit. Sort of how people enjoy having wine, kind of like it takes that edge off. So I'm not. I mean, people have been doing it. Uh, Katie even said everybody does it. I could probably name some people that I think who do it, but I'm not going to. Um, so I don't have a problem with it being on the ban list. It doesn't affect if it doesn't affect the, the play. Like I just yeah. think that I just think that the teams. I think there should be some transparency, you know? I think there should be some transparency between, like, the teams knowing who is doing it. Because you can find out if that shit is affecting your your player's performance. Right. I think there should be some transparency. Like, if, yeah, it doesn't have to be on the ban list. No, sure. But we have to be, as a team, an organization, we have to be aware that you are doing this and that it's not affecting your play. That's all I ask for. Yeah, I'm in agreement. And I think uh, just taking it off the ban list. The, the thing, just these are grown men, you know what I'm saying. And obviously, the the way the country is going, the rules on marijuana is getting very laxed. Um, I know here in Jersey, you could pretty much just walk up into a dispensary without a a medical card. Um, I just think you know these are grown men. This is your career. This is your responsibility to make sure that you're in the right shape and show up. Um, so yeah, I mean, if if it's not going to be illegal, then I don't think it should be on the ban list. But at the same time, as a player, you got to be responsible. You can't pop an edible right before the fucking playoffs. Like, you know what I'm saying? You just got to be responsible with it. Like, everything in moderation. No, you know, it's not a, it's not like drinking where, like, you take two shots and now you like, oh, you know what I'm saying? But, but it, 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 for certain people, it can, it can slightly affect coordination and reaction times and i think just you know i'm okay with it being off the ban list but when you're playing at that high of a level and you have responsibility to fans and you the people who are signing your checks i think you just just, just got to be responsible wait, like you wait, can't you, just be you telling me you're not, you're not you're not lit after two shots nah man i'm a, I'm, a, I'm a you know me <laughs> I'm, out here. I'm out here, man. But I'm saying, like, yeah, I'm. No, I'm saying weed is different. Like, if you take two shots, you, you probably are going to. You can't probably take two shots of liquor and go play a basketball game. You could probably hit the blunt twice and still go play. You know what I'm saying? But you still have to be responsible. Like, you can't be blazed out of your mind trying to come into a game. Like, I, just, 
like I'm all for it being off the ban list. Just, just, just these players just need to be just responsible. Yeah, I definitely off the ban list. Um, you know what I mean? Especially even for you think about recovery with, you know, um, you know, the THC, CBD, you know, the THC when you got the psychoactive part. So it helps reduce stress, anxiety. Um, it could, you know, help your moods out. Um, and then you got the CBD where it helps, you know, your joint pains, you got your, your ointments, your oil. So you're moving away from traditional oil-based medicine, the dependency on addictive drugs and things like that, painkillers. So I think it We lost Austin. Yeah, but I, I see where he was going with it. Like, yeah, the the, the medical benefits have already been like the, the 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 information is already out there on the the medicinal uh, you know help that it could provide to just not even just athletes, but just to any people. You know, there's people who have cancer who who probably smoke weed to you know to lessen the effects of like chemo. I think once it becomes a thing where it has like medical benefits. Doesn't it help like glaucoma as well or something like that? Like it helps. Right. It, like, it helps <laughs> right. So yeah, I'm okay with it being off the ban list. I don't. I don't think we're at that point in life where like weed is this big thing now. Like, yeah, I mean, I it's recreational. Yeah. Right. Um, that, that, let's have some fun with this though. Like, do we think NBA players are smoking blunts? Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like, think they, they, they. I don't think they they hitting the Reggie off the corner like an everyday person. <laughs> I think they probably. If you're smart, you probably go to a, a reputable dispensary somewhere where you know you ain't gonna get no BS. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure they are, especially in the off season. I'm sure they are. No NBA player should be smoking blunts. Get yourself, oh, wow. treat yourself better. Treat yourself better. Get some papers. Get some papers. And smoke them yeah. out of the paper. Yeah, and the blunt is the tobacco factor is something. So yeah, I, I, I'd be worried about the, the 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 tobacco factor with with just rolling regular blunts. But yeah, papers. You know, they got the TAT pens now, kind of like a vape. Um, and then you got your edibles, but just, just, just edibles is just a little too strong. I don't I don't recommend a, a solid edible before game. Cause you might be out there tripping, and then you can't control when it when it sets in. Nah, nah. Yeah, you be so, good in the first quarter. Second quarter, you out here wilding. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, uh-huh. All in moderation, man. You just gotta pick and choose your times. And I mean, if it's gonna be something that you're using for for medical benefits, use it strictly for that. Um, I definitely don't think like NBA players should be everyday daily smokers. I don't think that that would be beneficial. Um, but I mean, you, hey, I'm sure there, there's players who probably blow it down before every game and go out there and be fun. Like, could you imagine? I could if, name a few who I think probably were like that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was probably never confirmed, but we all know those players. He'd be like, yeah, he probably be getting smacked. So, <laughs> that's wild. But <laughs> yeah, and that's all. That's all I have, bro. That's all I have for today. I don't know if anybody has any other things. But that's that's all the topics I had. I have the genie bus retirement. Of bronze jersey on the list, but we know that's gonna happen. Like, yeah, I was that's inevitable. Yeah, that's inevitable. Whether she's talking about the only criteria she had was him going into all Hall of Fame, 
He's LeBron James. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. He's he's he, he was getting his jersey tied. He brought a championship. He's been there. Any all. team he played for needs to retire his jersey. Yeah. If you have LeBron team, LeBron James on your team, chances are you made some type of significant run while he was there. It might not have been every year, but the man went to like a gajillion finals. So chances are he elevated your team. He's won a championship. You know every stop. So. Retired a man's jersey. Now, what number it's going to be is probably different. You know, that's probably another, like, you know, something to deliberate. I know Kobe had both his jerseys. Uh, for him, who cares? Like, for him, it's like, who cares? Like, just just pick one. Retire one yeah. of them. Yeah. <laughs> Don't even put a number on it. Just put the jersey up. Just put his last name on it. Call it a day. Just put James. I wouldn't be surprised if he'd be like, yeah, can y'all, can y'all put King James on my jersey? Like, no, no, bro. We ain't doing that. <laughs> Speaking of the NBA, needs to do that again, man. Put the nickname. The NBA ultimately made him the logo. What? For him to be the logo? I wouldn't be surprised if you think about it in maybe like 10 to 15 years, if the NBA is ever going to redesign a logo, I think LeBron is the guy that would be the logo. Ooh. That's a discussion right there. (laughs) All he's done for the game, you know, all-time leading scorer, I think if anybody's ever going to you know, take Jerry Rome, Jerry uh, Jerry West's place as the logo. I think LeBron James is the guy. Yeah, I'm with that. I mean, they can't do. They really, I think, do the business things. I don't know if they could ever do Jordan just because he has his own brand with his own little logo. Okay. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. He would be. He would be next up. I mean, there hasn't that uh, hasn't been a player that's been on top of his game in the spotlight for this long, like you said, scoring champion, it wouldn't be surprised me either. Now, is everybody going to go for it? No, because I think LeBron James <laughs> is one of those players who has, for as much love as he gets, he gets just as much hate. So I can't see everybody being on board, but I wouldn't be mad at it. But yeah, just as far as an ambassador of the game, just a figure, you know, if it was ever to happen, I think he would be the one. I think yeah, yeah. I think that's a big if, though. Like, I can't see the NBA ever getting to a point where they need a rebrand. Like, they would have to have a, a really good reason to change their their logo because of that brand value and brand integrity. Like, everybody know what the NBA logo is. So changing yeah. that, changing that is going to cost a lot of money, and it's going to be have to be like a slow rollout. Like, so is it, is it worth it at that point? We'll see. Um, but. I ain't mad for LeBron being on there. I ain't mad for Kobe. I'm mad for MJ. I'm not mad at. Yeah, all much deserving, you know. Right. Yeah, there's a handful of players who who could do it. Not everybody can do it, but there's a, there's there's five or six, maybe maybe not even five or six, maybe three or four players who, if they change the logo, I think people would be able to get with it. Because yeah. the traditionalist in me, I hate the new trophies that they've been given out. Because I remember the old ones as a kid, but I love the names. You know, you got the Kobe Bryant All-Star Game MVP. You got the Michael Jordan MVP trophy. Things like that. I love seeing those and the, the renaming of them. But these trophies are just kind of bland. Oh, man. Yeah, they got like, the design team on the on the trophy, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> they changed right. the uh, WNBA All-Star Game trophy. Remember last year, uh, Kelsey Palm got the little teacup. This year um, was was much better. So... We'll see. I'm always wondering why Jerry West was the logo. I don't never heard the story, but it's crazy how like Bill Russell or somebody wasn't like the logo. It's kind of yeah. Like, I never knew the story about it either. Jerry West just seems kind of random. Well, yeah, yeah. It was a good player, but definitely not like logo. But I get it. It is what it is. 
I mean, he lost like every finals he went to except for one. So, like, why was he the logo? <laughs> but <laughs> he, he, he was the white guy of the time. Yeah, he was, he was the white guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, it's like we could go with Wilt, we could go with Bill Russell, Elgin Baylor, all these great guys. But uh, you know, I think we'll go with the white guy. You could even win Cozy. Nah, I would have been about Cozy. Oh, okay. Yeah, Cozy could have been. Yeah. Like somebody I think it was who, the, who he played for, I think, helped as well. Like playing for the Lakers, like Yeah. He's just kinda yeah. in the forefront of everyone's mind when it comes to basketball at that time anyway. Yeah. He said he didn't even like being a logo. If you watch the sh- if you watch Showtime Lakers, um, which is coming back soon, I'm really excited about that. In the first season, they picked they depicted Jerry West being a crazy dude, like, and I I can see it, like you can see him. He's older now. Some of that crazy stuff is coming out, like. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah I love had a couple crazy. interviews over the years that I was like, okay, he's an animal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's he's cutthroat, bro. He told PG to his face, like, yeah, you not playing and you and Kawhi not playing is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> I was like, hey yo, <laughs> I was like, hey yo, the general managers is telling you that to your face is crazy, but um. Yeah, let's make Brown a little logo. I'm with it. If y'all with it, Brown for logo right. 2024, man. <laughs> That's funny. But all right, guys, July 30th, Sunday. Uh, we're in this podcast around 12:30. Still got a lot of the your your day going on. What you guys plan on doing for the rest of the day? Uh, probably hit the gym. Probably hit the golf range. Take it easy. Damn, I gotta get my golf game up. Damn. We yeah, outside. Go, the dad in me is saying to go do something with my kids. The lazy guy in me is telling me to just go back to bed. So we'll see who, which one wins. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sounds like a Sunday nap is coming at some point. Yeah, probably right as soon as I hang up. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> I feel like dad mode is gonna win. I'm, I'm, that's what I'm gonna say. Um, I'm a, I'm gonna try to attempt to talk my wife out of going to Hoboken. I'm gonna y'all pray for me. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say let's you know just get go get some ice cream and come back home. Uh, let, just pray for me. Hopefully it goes well. <laughs> pray for real, man. We got you. No oh, man, I, I want you, I want you to be in Hoboken get you a lobster roll and a nice drink, bro. I never had one, so maybe I'm I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they keep the bars pretty cool over there, man. Yeah, but uh, thanks everybody for listening this week at the Beyond and Unknown podcast. We'll be back next week, um, same time, same place. Look out for our link for Spotify in the next couple of days. And uh, appreciate you guys, and appreciate you guys listening. Peace. Thanks for listening.